Well, good morning. What a beautiful Lord's Day it is. It's good to see all of your smiling faces. Whoa. <clears throat> what, a, what a wonderful Lord's Day. Thank you so much for uh, singing those songs today, Marcus. Uh, like you said, there's a lot of good material in those songs. I don't know why we just save them for one time a year, but hey, at least we get to sing them once, right? Uh, it's uh, so good to have each of you here. It's been kind of a tough year for uh, the cold and flu season. There's many that are missing. We pray for their quick recovery. It's been a tough one this year particularly, uh, but uh, we pray that they'll, they'll be back with us as soon as they can. And those, there are those that are traveling uh, through, through this holiday season, and we'll keep them in our prayers. Uh, there are some traveling today, I think, uh, from, uh, is it Oklahoma or Texas? We're Oklahoma. They're coming in from Oklahoma to Uray today. So uh, Brad and Carol Clark's family are traveling, and so pray for them, especially today as they uh, try to get here through the storm. Uh, but we're grateful that you're here this morning. Uh, I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a reader, and uh, if, if, if you want a, a busy person, a busy man, uh, can read the classics, and here's, here's how you do it. <laughs> uh, and it really, it's, they're really very thorough as far as the information that's found in these little pamphlets. And I go to these used bookstores and I go to these places, and if I see this yellow and black cover, I buy them. And then I read them, and then I've got the basic information. I don't get the whole 575 pages of the book, but I get the basic gist of it. And so it's a brief summary providing valuable information uh, concerning these old classics. And uh, I recommend them, uh, uh, even if you're in high school, <laughs> uh, it's a great way to get through the uh, material. Uh, and there's uh, supplemental, the supplemental aid to serious students, it heightens the perception and awareness that it, 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 you attain uh, this information. I think Socrates once said the, uh, the, the examined life, and so you, you get to hear and, and hear from some of these old classics. I believe we find a very similar situation in the book of John. Open your Bibles to John chapter 3. <clears throat> and I've, I've looked at this, we've looked at this many times, and I just, I, I believe it's, there's so much information here, and it's, a, it's like Cliff's Notes. Uh, it gives us the, the whole gospel story in 21 verses, and really all the way down to verse 36, but in, in this one chapter, we get to we get to hear about and we get to imagine and visualize the kingdom of God and, and how we're, we're brought into that kingdom by this rebirth. And then we have this belief that Jesus is who He claims to be, the Son of Man. And, and we get to see God's love. He loved us so much that He gave His only begotten Son. And we get to see this plan of salvation unfold right before our eyes. And, of course, at the very end the judgment. And there are those that will choose to walk away from God and choose unbelief. And we get to see all of this, this, this little capsule, this summary of God's great plan. And imagine, if you will, coming to Jesus. Maybe last night. What were you doing last night? We tried to go over to the Garden of the Lights and 
There wasn't any lights. <laughs> it's like, what? We drive up, it's dark. It's like, what happened? Well, apparently the horses didn't want to get muddy. <laughs> Mike, does that happen to your house? It's like, we don't want to get muddy. What a stupid reason not to turn the lights on. Anyway, that may just be my interpretation. But we went over there last night, and I thought, what, wouldn't it be interesting to, to be going somewhere last night where Jesus was and to be face-to-face with Jesus? Now, let's look at John chapter 3. Let's, let's start uh, <clears throat> verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And now, it's just fascinating to me to think that here here is a man that comes face to face with Jesus. Now, we, we often think that he was sort of embarrassed because he's a ruler of the Jews. He's a part of the Pharisees' sect, and he's He's up in the uh, uh, echelon of, of title and position, and he's probably quite wealthy. And so we often think that possibly he came because he was embarrassed, didn't want anybody, of, uh, all of his friends to know that he's going to see Jesus. But think of it maybe this way. Maybe he came to Jesus because he didn't want to be interrupted. What was Jesus' life like while he's walking on earth as man? Wherever Jesus went, what went with him? <laughs> or maybe... Who? Well, there's at least 12 men, at least 12, and, you know, your 12 best friends, right? You, you kind of roam the earth with your 12 best friends. That's what Jesus did. And then what else? Well, he had crowds of people. And, in fact, so much so, I think it's uh, Luke chapter 5, or I forget where it is exactly, but you have people digging through a roof. <laughs> imagine, bone camp, imagine Somebody coming through the roof, digging through. And it's like, we're, we're in here. Jesus is in here. It's, he's, there's a crowd of people around him. And people are digging through the roof to get their friend to Jesus. So possibly Nicodemus comes face to face with Jesus at night so he wouldn't be interrupted. Possibly he wanted this one-on-one time with the, the creator of the universe, with the man with all the answers. We look at Nicodemus, this ruler of the Jews, and what an this initial comment he says, "I know you're from God. There's no other explanation. There's no there's no way that this these kind of signs can come from anybody else except you're from God. I know that." And Nicodemus is on this road to belief, on this road to having faith in Jesus as the Son of God. And he's, he's making these steps and he's making this journey. And he comes face to face with Jesus. In the very first words out of our Lord's mouth, verse 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, how, how can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? 
And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Wow. Of all the things that Jesus could have said, of all the things that needed to be said, Jesus nails it and he says, you must be born again. You want to see the kingdom of God? This means yes. Nod your head. Yes. If, that, if that's true, if you really want to see the kingdom of God, Jesus tells Nicodemus and he tells us, you must be born again. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Without a complete change, comparable only to rebirth, natural man cannot enter the spiritual kingdom. Try to picture in your mind a life without sight. And try to, try to describe a sunset to a blind man. Try to, try to capture what you're seeing. And Jesus is doing this because Nicodemus apparently is spiritually blind. And he's a leader of the Jews. He's a teacher. I believe my version says he's a ruler of the Jews. And he doesn't see it. He doesn't have the imagination, doesn't have the ability to see what is so necessary to be seen. Jesus says, I'm going to spiritually transform you. I'm going to put you into a right relationship with God. And that it's only possible by rebirth. Spiritual rebirth must occur. And I wonder, can you teach an old dog new tricks? This old dog. <laughs> yeah, all right. So Jesus goes on to say, let me teach you something. You ruler of the Jew, you teacher of of Israel. Look at verse 9. Nicodemus answered, how can these things be? Jesus says, are you the teacher of Israel? You do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak that which we know and bear witness of that which we've seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I told you earthly things you do not believe, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, and, but he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. He says, there is something that must occur. And we go back to his original statement, and he says, you must be born of water and spirit. I want you to see this with your spiritual eyes. And imagine if you're Nicodemus, and you're sitting there at night with Jesus, and he says, you must be born of water and spirit. What would you think when you heard Jesus say, born of water and spirit, who would you think of? Well, I would probably think of 
John the Baptist, he's out there. What's he doing? Well, he's in the river, and he's baptizing. People are coming to him and, and have that image of, of a, pe- a line of people walking up to the edge of the river and John out in the, out in the water, and he's, he's baptizing people one after another. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You must be born of water. Nicodemus probably obeyed that command. Nicodemus was probably one of those on the bank and probably walked out into the water and was probably baptized by John. He was probably immersed in water. Why do I think that? Why do I believe that? It's because of the spiritual nature of Nicodemus. He's going to do the things that God asks him to do. Is John a man of God? Is, was he the immerser? And so Nicodemus was probably in that line. He probably walked out there. And when Jesus says you must be born of water, possibly he's immediately reminded of John. And all these ceremonial cleansings. Born of water. But he goes on, he says, not only water, but spirit. What? Now what am I supposed to think? Jesus says, here's how you can picture it. Bowen Camp was talking about building over in Salida, and he says, you know, when they call it a nice day in Salida, there's about a 40-mile-an-hour wind. That's a nice day. It's blowing off shingles off the house that he just built. And these aren't just shingle shingles. They're like stone shingles. It's blowing it off the roof. Where did that wind come from? Where is it going? I, I don't know. But we feel the effect of it. Jesus says, we understand wind to some degree. We feel it. And if you, if you live in Salida or if you live in Nebraska, <laughs> it's like, man, you get blown down. Yep. Where would it come from? <laughs> Where is it going? <laughs> we have no idea. That's the Spirit. You must be born of water. And the Spirit, it's like that. There's some power. There's some force. And it's from God. We know where that wind is blowing from. We know the Spirit is from God. We know the Spirit is God. And he says, you must be born of the Spirit. Huh. Water and Spirit stand for this cleansing and strengthening power of Christ. It wipes out the past and it gives us victory in the future. There's something about being born again that is beautiful. He says, you must be born of water and the Spirit. Huh. How do I get there? Nicodemus is like, what's the next step? And if you circle things in your Bible all the way down to verse 14, circle the word born. I've got it circled, and I forget how many times it happens. Let's see if I can count it up here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It's like, goodness, eight times in eight verses, the word born appears. What do you suppose the key thought is? It's like, well, it doesn't take a a rocket scientist to figure it out. It's like, 
You must be born again. What's the next step? He says, belief. Oh, a lot of people get caught up in that. Look at verse 14. As Moses lifted up serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the Son, of the only begotten Son of God. What is that key word? Well, belief. So there's a combination, there's some sort of connection between being born again and belief. I've got to understand this. He says there's something about God's uh, word, this testimony of Christ, and he's going to be lifted up. And this immediately should take you back in time, take you way back in our history. This belief. Moses did this very thing. Because of the unbelief of the people of Israel, because of their stubbornness, because they didn't trust in God and His power to save them and bring them into the promised land, God had it up to here. If you're a parent, you know... Is that you, Lord? Okay, better take it. They, they should know exactly where you are. It's like, <clears throat> Moses is there in the wilderness. The people are stubborn. They're unbelieving, and, and God's had it up to here, and he sends in serpents. Now, of all the things that he could do, that's pretty bad. I hate snakes. I hate them. I don't care if they're good for you or not. I don't care if they're a little garter snake in the backyard. Every time I see one, I'm startled. I'm like, ah. These serpents were horrible. One bite, and you died. People were dying by the thousands. And they were crying out to the Lord. They said, save us. And God says, okay. I'll give you one more opportunity. Fashion a serpent on a stick and lift it up in front of the people. What? You know what that symbol is today? It's our medical symbol. Huh. Fashion a serpent and put it on a stick. Yeah, I put it on a stick and put it over a fire. <laughs> I don't know. Wouldn't you? I mean, it's like, yeah. Let's try that. No, but it's like, put it on a stick, lift it up. Look at the snake. Look at the snake that's on that stick, and it's lifted up. Look at it. And can you imagine people saying, no, not gonna. I don't want to earn, you know, my salvation. What? Of course they would. They would look to that snake, and they were immediately healed. Imagine serpents in the camp. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent, so must the Son of Man be lifted up 
And here we see him on the cross, on this, on this staff. And the serpent back in the Old Testament was a representation of God's judgment of sin. And in the New Testament, the cross is a symbol of, of God's forgiveness. He is satisfied with this sacrifice. And he says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Mm. Lifted up on a cross, lifted up into glory. In verse, verses 15 and 16, 16, of course, you've memorized from birth. <laughs> and I don't know why that one is so, I mean, it's so part of us. It's so part of our, our uh, vernacular. We, everyone, everybody can re uh, quote it. And usually we quote it in King James, if you're a certain age. But 15 and 16, there's this little word right before the word believe. He says, whoever believes. You see it there? Verse 16, whoever believes. Hmm. It's not just middle class Americans in western Colorado Oh, it includes us. It's not just people in this hemisphere. Oh, it includes us. It's not just, it's all of us. It's any of us, whoever. It's a broadcast across all nations, across all boundaries. This isn't limited in any way. It's an open invitation to all people. But there's something about this seems to be confusing. It includes more than a mental disposition. It includes acknowledgement of historical data. We can look back at, in our history and we can say, did this really happen? Did, did God really allow His Son to be killed and put in a tomb? Did that really happen? We can look back in our history and we can start asking those questions. We say, we can come to one conclusion. It really happened. It was part of our history. And it changed the world. But it includes that historical data. And this idea of, of being able to comply. Faith in God has always driven godly people to obedience. Faith becomes an action word. Faith becomes a verb. It's something you do. And if you want proof of that, just turn over to Hebrews 11 and look at all the things that faithful men and women did. I've, in that verse, in that chapter, I've circled all the verbs. Go back and look at all those verbs. It's like, man, look what they did. How do we know Noah was faithful? How do we know Rahab was faithful? How do we know Moses was faithful? How do we know? It's by what they did. Oh, sure, they understood the historical data. They got that. They believed who, got, who, who was talking to them. They believed that God was serious when He asked them to do something, and then they did it. Whoever believes, listen to this, faith is a bearing towards God and His revelation which recognizes and confides in Him and in it 
which not only acknowledges and holds to his word as true, but practically applies and appropriates it. Well, that's a lot of words. <laughs> this PhD was like, do you get that? Well, here's what he's trying to say. Hear it and do it. I should write a book. It'd be really short. <laughs> It'd be a really short book, but I'd get it. Hear it and do it. There are things that we're required to believe. For God so loved the world. I'm required to believe that. I'm required to believe that God loved the world. I'm required to believe that whatever Jesus says about God is true. <laughs> I'm required to believe that. And then I have responsibilities based on what Jesus says about God. And whatever Jesus commands, I must do it. I must believe in those things. And then he says, I want you to believe in something that's outside of this world. Oh, it's easy to believe that these chairs exist. It's, it's easy to believe that, uh, you know, the, the, the car you drive and the house you live in, they exist. You can actually go over and, and with your five senses find them. Let me talk to you about something that's outside this realm. Eternal life. I need to believe in that. And then I need to make preparation to spend that, in, that time with my Father. Eternal life means peace with God, peace with mankind, peace with life, peace with ourselves. You see, there's something coming that's, that's so much better than this world. I've got to believe that. And it's going to drive me to action. And then i got to believe this. Why do we love one another? I'll give you, I'll give you a hint. <laughs> sort of in focus. <clears throat> That's why we love each other. That's why we love family. That's why we fall in love. That's why we uh, display love. That's, that's, there's a reason. We didn't make this up. We're not smart enough to make this up. God is love. i got to believe that. And whoever believes it, John says, will have this eternal life. How much did God love the world, or how much did God love? Well, he extends to the entire world. Augustine said, God loves each one of us as if there was only one of us to love. You don't think you're important? God is love. He loves you like you're the only one there is to love. You see, Nicodemus needed this information. Now, what's interesting, verse 19, this is the judgment, that the light is come into the world and men love the darkness rather than light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. 
Whoa. Judgment's coming. We don't know when, but we know it's coming. Jesus would tell his apostles, he said, when the Spirit comes, he's going to do these three things. He's going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We need a Savior. We need to do the things that please God. That's righteousness. And judgment day is coming. The world needs to be convicted of that. You're convicted of it. I know because here you sit. Hmm. You see, our future, our goals, we need to have them focused on this. And we need to look for the will of God and then practice it. What does it say, verse 20 or 21? He says, he who practices the truth comes to light. Huh. What a Savior. <laughs> oh, what a Savior. We're no longer lost. We're saved. We've been set free from sin, death, and hell. We've We've been brought into the kingdom of light. And when, when we're there, we, then we begin to treat people with proper respect. Those outside of Christ are considered precious souls in need of a Savior. Those inside Christ are considered more holy than ourselves. Oh, what a Savior. The grand summary of the gospel in these 21 verses and then he sort of concludes the whole conversation with Nicodemus there at verse 36. Look down all the way at the end of chapter 3. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. You must be born again. You must believe. You must practice. And our deeds will be made known. How do you know an apple tree is an apple tree? Well, when you walk up to it in the fall, you don't see cherries. I know, it's the first clue. It's an apple. By their fruits, they're known. Same with us. Same with all faithful men and women of all time. By their fruits, they're known. He says, believe in the Son and you have eternal life. Disobey Him and all you can look forward to is the wrath of God. He who does truth. I can do truth. <laughs> yep. You can do truth. You can practice truth. And as you approach the light, when you come to the light, your deeds are made known and they're wrought, they're displayed for God. Now, how do we get 
into that relationship. Nicodemus was told immediately, he must be born again. The first sermon that was preached, Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles and Peter comes up among the eleven and he begins to preach and, and they interrupt him and they say, what must we do? The wrath of God is all we can expect. We deserve the wrath of God. And the people said, what must we do to be saved? And he said, repent. Let each one of you be baptized. Why? So your sins of murdering the Son of God, even that, can be removed. Hmm. Then, (laughs) I'm going to throw in a free gift. Just icing on the cake. Uh, The gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, either it's the gift of the Holy Spirit, it's Him, or it's from Him, but either way, it's a free gift. And he says, give up the physical, accept the spiritual, become a child of God, and do it right now. While it's still called today. What's your situation? Come to the Lord while together we stand and sing the song that's been selected. Mm-hmm. <clears throat>